Morning, everyone. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Psalm 119 says, I will meditate on your precepts. I fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, needy and in need of you, please help us to meditate on your precepts. Help us to fix our eyes on your ways. Help us to delight in what you say in your statutes and help us not to forget your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what would you say is the main problem with our world today? Some may well point to the pandemic um, and say that's been the biggest challenge that the world has faced since World War II. Others might point to uh, terrorism or war or famine or disease or injustice or climate change. The list goes on, doesn't it? And these are real and big problems. I don't want to um, belittle them or deny that in any way. There are great people doing great things in those areas. But none of those things really gets to the heart of the problem. None of those things gets to the core. And that's what God's word does. It gets to the real heart of the problem with the world. The root problem with humanity that underpins all the others. Yet it's strangely the one which the world ignores and dismisses out of hand. It's worth saying that God doesn't point out this problem in order to crush us, but in order that we might come to the solution, the only solution that God has so wonderfully provided in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, like a good doctor, he diagnoses our real problem so that we might be driven to the cure. It's a problem that if we forget personally, then we lose our joy in the gospel. And if we forget it as a church, then we're in danger of abandoning the gospel altogether. It's really serious that we remember this problem. And it's the problem that God highlights in our passage today, Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 23. You'll remember the context is that God's people who had returned from exile, well, they'd been neglecting the, building of, the rebuilding of the new temple. Well, they were focusing on their own lives, their own kingdoms. But God had sent Haggai, the prophet, to call them back to work on the temple. And wonderfully, uh, God had stirred up their hearts to respond to his word. And now they were building. Brilliant. Good start. But now, two months on, according to verse 1 in our passage, as they were building, God is now pointing to a much deeper problem than the temple. Something that he wanted them to remember as they were rebuilding it. What is that problem? Well, it's in our key verse, verse 14 of our passage today. This is the Lord speaking to his Old Testament people who are engaged in the rebuilding of the new temple. And he says this, So it is with, my, with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Did you spot it? The, the problem wasn't that the temple was unfinished, but that their Every work of their hands, every offering, every service to God was unclean. It was polluted by sin. 
And that's why our first point today is, as you build, remember the real problem. This is verses 10 to 19. You know, this is quite a shock to me, preparing uh, this passage. All along the book of Haggai, I thought that the issue was about the temple. And in one sense, it was. But the temple was never the be-all and end-all of God's purposes and plans. No, no, the temple acted as a signpost uh, pointing to uh, the people's real problem and the world's real problem, which is their sin and of their need for forgiveness. And Israel should have known that this was the problem all along, especially the teachers of the Old Testament law. Surely they would have remembered the real root problem and be teaching the people, right? Well, wrong. They'd forgotten which is why God sent Haggai to the priests, to the teachers of the law, to point out what they should have known all along and have been teaching the people. Just look at verses 11 to 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. <laughs> you know, this is sort of primary school, key stage one level of Old Testament theology here, um, of Old Testament priest training school. Um, Haggai is acting like the exasperated teacher who asks very basic, obvious questions to lead his pup or her pupils to the right conclusion. Well, that's what's going on here. He asks them, according to the Old Testament law, can holiness spread through touch? Can holiness spread through touch? And the priests get it right, as they should. They say, no, that's not the way holiness works. It can't spread through touch. And then he asks the opposite question. Well, then, can uncleanness spread through touch? And quite rightly, they get it right. They say, yes, uncleanness can spread through touch. That was the whole problem with uncleanness in the Old Testament, with sin. It was that it spread, it, it uh, infected everything. It was so hard to be clean in God's sight. You see, the problem here, the fundamental problem was the people's sin remained and it was polluting everything that they did, including the temple. The temple was defiled because the people's hearts and their hands were defiled. And if we look closer, it's sin was, that was the real reason that God wasn't blessing them. Do you remember back in chapter 1? God was disciplining his people by withholding the blessing because they were neglecting the temple. Well, Haggai says actually the real reason underpinning all that, the real reason for God's withholding of his blessing, his discipline, was his people's sin. Their uncleanness, their unhardness of heart. Just look at verse 17 as an example. God says, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. You see, despite his discipline, and, uh, and his loving um, withholding, they did not turn to him. They did not trust in him. And that is sin. 
And if you think about it, in the Bible, sin has been the problem all along for God's people. It was sin that caused the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. It was sin that brought about the judgment and the global flood. It was sin that me needed, meant there needed to be a temple with countless, endless animal sacrifices for God to dwell with his people at all. It was sin that um, meant that God's people wandered aimlessly in the desert for 40 years until that generation died. It was sin that caused Israel's civil war and the division of the kingdoms. It was sin that made every other king, pretty much, after David and Solomon, an utter disaster for God's people. And it was sin that ultimately led to the exile and the ejection of God's people out of the promised land. It was sin all along. And do you remember Jesus with the paralyzed man in, in uh, Mark 2? That paralyzed man, such a picture of human neediness. What a life he would have had. We look at him and say, surely this man's biggest problem is that he can't walk, that he's paralyzed. He can't walk or support himself or do anything for himself. That's what we would see. But when Jesus looked at this man, he saw his root problem. Jesus, in his wisdom, saw that the man's deepest problem was his sin, which is why he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. He goes straight to the core problem. And why is sin such a serious problem? Well, it's not just that it makes our lives miserable and causes dysfunction in our lives and in our relationships and messes up the world, though it does do those things. Now, the, the real reason that sin is such a problem is because it's an offence against the Holy Creator God. You see, God's righteous response to sin is wrath and anger. His holiness demands it, which is why the world's biggest problem is sin, because of God's wrath upon that sin. It incurs the judgment of Almighty God. That's why in Romans 1 it says that the wrath of God is being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So do you see Haggai's point here? He's, he's saying, look, as you build this new temple, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember the real problem. And it's the same for us, you see, as we build the church today, we need to remember that the real problem is sin. Even as Christians, we so quickly forget that that is the real problem. We so quickly forget what Christ has saved us from, from sin and God's wrath and hell through the cross. We lose sight of the horror of our sin and so we lose sight of the glory of the cross. And our hearts grow cold. Do you remember the sinful woman in Luke 7? Do you remember why she loved Jesus so much? Why she wept over his feet? Well, it's because she, she knew, she remembered how much she'd been forgiven. That's why she loved Jesus so much. She knew how big her sin was, but she knew Jesus' grace was bigger. In contrast to Simon the Pharisee there that day, who 
Well, he thought his sin was very small, so he didn't really think very much of Jesus. And I guess part of the reason why we are so quick to forget our real problem is our sin is because we live in this world full of problems. Huge, scary, painful problems. I get that. And it may well be that you're going through some very, very painful circumstances and problems right now. I don't wish to belittle that at all. But we do need to pray, don't we, that God would help us to see that if we are trusting in Jesus, then our greatest problem has been solved by Jesus. And because of that, we can rejoice even in the most dire of circumstances. And as a church, you see, if we forget that our problem is sin, the problem with the world is sin, well then, we get the solution wrong. We start preaching the wrong answers. You see, if we start thinking that the problem with the world is social or political or ecological, then we'll start preaching a social or political or ecological message rather than the cross. Whereas if we realize and remember that the problem is sin, then we will preach the cross because we know it really addresses the problem. You see, the message of the cross is, is the only message that actually saves people from hell and for heaven. It's the most loving thing we can do is to tell people the gospel because that is what they really need. That's why Paul said to the Corinthian church that he desired to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So as we build the church, let's remember the real problem is sin. And so let's keep preaching the real solution, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. As we come back to Haggai, where is the hope in this passage? Well, the note of hope comes at the end of verse 19. Do you see it? The Lord says, but from this day, from this day on, I will bless you. Wow, that's, that's like a promise coming out of the blue, a promise of blessing. But that's the nature of grace, isn't it? That it's kind of comes out of the blue. It is undeserved by us. It's unearned by us. You see, despite their uncleanness, despite their sin, God promises from now on to bless them. But how? How is God going to deal with his people's problem of sin that, so that blessings might flow to them? Well, to find out, you'll have to come back this evening to this evening's service. No, not really. We, we don't actually have an evening service, don't worry. But I only do that because actually, if you look at verse 20, that's probably what um, Haggai's original here has had to do to find the answer to this problem how, of how God was going to bless his people. Because it says that the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the same day. They probably had to wait for the evening service to get the answer. You see, if... Um, if point one was, as you build, remember the real problem, point two is, as you build, keep your eyes fixed on the king. That's the point of verses 20 to 23. So Haggai is sent now with this precious message from the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now you may remember Zerubbabel from chapter one. He was the governor of Judah. 
Now, you can't tell from that that actually, more than the governor, he was actually the king of Israel at this point. The reason he's referred to as the governor is because Israel was under a foreign power, under King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire at this point. So although it says he was the governor, he was actually the king of Israel. His, um, his grand, a king in the line of David. His grandfather was King Jehoiachin, and his father was Shealtiel, we're told. And the Lord makes this most incredible promise to Zerubbabel. Firstly, verses 21 to 22, that God's king will rule over all the nations. It seems so implausible. They were under a foreign occupier. They weren't even their own king in that, their own kingdom in that way. But God promises one day he's going to, verse 21, shake the nations one more time. He was going to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. He was going to turn the world upside down. And in verse 23, he was going to make Zerubbabel like a signet ring. Do you see that? Now, a signet ring was engraved with the king's own seal. It carried the king's authority. And so it's like God is saying, I've put my seal, my authority, on the line of Zerubbabel. And one day will come from his line, the line of David, a king who will shake the world and rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. Actually, this is just a continuation of the promise that we find back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promises to David that one day one of his descendants would rule over all the nations in an eternal kingdom. And not only that, but uh, not only would this king rule over all the nations, but we also see that he will be the Lord's chosen servant. Just have a look at verse 23. O Zerubbabel, my servant, says the Lord. And later in that same verse, for I have chosen you. In other words, we see that this coming king in the line of David is going to be God's chosen servant king. And this extraordinary promise was pictured in uh, King Zerubbabel. It was pictured in, in him, but it was fulfilled in King Jesus the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, it is through Jesus that our ultimate problem of sin is solved. Because Jesus was God's chosen servant. That servant king who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, who went to the cross to take the punishment for the sin of all his people who trust in him. He would pay the ransom. He would pay the price for sin that we could never pay. And by his death, we are washed clean of all our guilt so we can have relationship with God and eternal life. Three days later, after Christ died, God raised him from the dead as the eternal king of all the nations. And he reigns right now at the right hand of God in heaven. And one day will return to judge all the world. You see, this is our second point. As the people of Israel built the temple, they were not only to um, remember the real problem, they were also to keep their eyes 
fixed on the king. Because that's where the solution to their problem was going to come from one day. And that's the application for us, you see, as we build the church today, where to keep our eyes fixed on King Jesus. As we build the church, we have to keep our eyes fixed on the gospel. Because the king has come, and Jesus is the source of our salvation, and not our building work. That's why we have to keep our eyes fixed on him. And how do we do that? Well, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus by keeping on ministering the gospel to our own hearts. Coming to his word each day, remembering before him our own sin, confessing that, coming to the cross, receiving his wonderful forgiveness, and rejoicing in what Jesus saved us from by his death. You know, if we're giving a talk or a, leading a Bible study or, or a one-to-one, then we need to give time before we teach it to others to really apply it to ourselves, to our own hearts. Only then will we not be hypocrites, pointing others to Jesus, but not coming to him ourselves. It's so easy to do that. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says to his hearers that they are to keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So keep looking to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him as you build. And if you're not yet a Christian, um, listening in today, welcome. It's brilliant that you're here finding out more. But the message to you is no different. Realize that your greatest problem is your sin and the wrath of God on that sin. I know there may be a lot going on in your life right now, but this is the most serious thing you must address as soon as you can. You have to hear the diagnosis before you can come to the cure. That's, remember, God doesn't highlight this problem in order to crush you, but in order that you might seek the cure that is found only in Jesus. So come to Jesus today. Trust in him and his death on the cross for you. Let, let him cleanse you of your sins and make you right with God forever. Are you afraid that he won't have you back? Well, listen to the words of Christ who said, Come to me, all who lab- labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden, I think here means burdened with sin. And I will give you rest, says Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So in summary, we've seen two huge things today as we build, as we build the church. As we build the church, firstly, remember the real problem and the real solution. The real problem is sin, and the only solution is the gospel. So we, let's keep believing it ourselves and keep preaching it to others. And secondly, as we build the church, let's keep our eyes fixed on King Jesus. Pictured in Zerubbabel, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that chosen and precious servant king who came to serve us by giving his life as a ransom for many. And now who reigns over all the kingdoms of the earth and one day will return to judge. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you've been teaching us through the book of Haggai. We thank you so much uh, that you have saved us through Jesus.
and you give us that enormous privilege of taking part in your building work to build the church. And please, Father, as we build, help us to remember the real problem is sin. And so to delight in the cross every day and delight to share that message of the cross with others. And as we build, please help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source of our salvation, our wonderful Saviour, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Help us, O Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.